Skydivers are often asked why they'd want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. But what if it wasn't perfect? I was in the States and it was a sunny California day and a group of friends and I were being put through our paces for our accelerated freefall AFF ratings. We had flown an examiner interstate and our days were busy with jumping, packing, briefings and debriefings. The course was challenging, the days long and hot, and our examiner was pushing us on every jump. On days like these, I welcomed the aircraft ride. A brief 15 minutes to catch my breath, run through the dive in my mind and recheck my gear. On this particular day, we took off uneventfully like we had many times that morning. Climbing through 1,000 feet, 17 jumpers began taking off their seatbelts, sweating in our nylon suits. We anticipated this moment on every load. I watched the jumper by the door as he lifted the roller. Cool air rushed in, a taste of freedom soon to come. However, he closed it again quickly, pointing to a few drops of liquid on the perspex. Chinese whispers spread around the plane as the message was relayed to the pilot. There was fuel spraying down the side of the plane. We peered out of the small perspex windows, the source of the leak unknown. The engine noise changed, and I felt the thrust of the turbine reducing as the plane banked to the right. I instinctively buckled my seatbelt for landing. Someone probably spilt some fuel when refueling or left the cap off. It seemed logical that the pilot was turning around immediately to land and check it out. I checked my altitude, 1,880 feet, high enough to get out, but maybe not with 16 people in front of me. Besides, everything seemed to be under control. We came out of our 180-degree turn, and then there was an uncomfortable silence as we began descending. Are we gliding? Someone asked. There was more silence. I could see the airport out of my window. We were on base leg for 2-6, but it was a long way out. I willed the plane for better glide, just like all those times coming home from a long spot under my parachute. The plane slowed, and the airport rose higher in my field of view. I looked at my altitude. We rapidly descended through 1,000 feet, too low to get out. I turned to my friend on the other bench. We aren't going to make the airport. We aren't going to make the airport? I said nothing while he tightened his tandem passenger's harness. I stared fixedly out of the window. I couldn't see any big green fields, just houses, high voltage power lines, and the freeway. A cacophony of beeps rippled through the plane as mine and the other skydivers' audible altimeters shrieked their frantic warnings. Trees came into view. Comments such as, All right, we're doing this. Relax. Hang on. We passed over a row of treetops. Fifty feet up over a field. It seemed like forever. And most of the precious green field passed before we finally... slammed down bouncing a little. I could feel the pilot's futile attempts to apply the brakes in the loose dirt. We were fully loaded and going fast. Everyone was hanging on tight to the person in front of them. Open the door! Open the door! A stand of trees rushed past at astonishing speed, followed immediately by a loud bang. Everything went black.
I was in a tangle of bodies, and I realized I was upside down. Yelling and beeping was everywhere. My mind was filled with a fear of burning. Liquid was spraying somewhere outside. I tried to find my seatbelt latch to unbuckle. I struggled for a moment, then remembered the saying, Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. I fell to the floor in a tangled mess of bodies, under me and on top of me. Everything was still black. I struggled to my feet and felt like a tortoise righting itself. There were people all over the floor. I had to kneel and step on them until I found some standing room. There is no fire! Relax! Someone yelled. I looked to the front. There was liquid spraying on the windows. The front of the plane was total chaos. We crawled and scrambled out of the plane. Wrapped in tangled wires and impaled by steel stakes, it was upside down in a vineyard. Broken sprinklers were making little fountains everywhere. We helped each other over the wing, slipping on the aluminium surface, lubricated by jet fuel. We made it to a road. I had no idea where we were. A woman came up to a group of us and said, You hit our truck! What, with our plane? I questioned. We found the rest of the skydivers standing around in someone's driveway. It seemed everyone was alive and well, if a little disoriented. The pilot had a bloody nose. A policeman arrived, and we were corralled together while he confirmed the story. The plane landed in the field over there, hit the road, clipped the back of the pickup truck, went under the power line and then flipped over in the vineyard? Is that what everyone thinks? We murmured our agreement. Okay, you can go now. We started walking. A resident pulled over and offered us a ride. We got back to the drop zone a few minutes later to questions such as, did you guys land off? Why are you still packed? Skydivers were preparing for the next load and the plane was late. Nah, the plane crashed. Is it okay? Nah, it's f***ed, I replied. We caught up on events while someone went inside to tell the drop zone owner. Just a moment later, we saw him drive past in the tug. Less than five minutes later, he drove back past, twin otter in tow. We are going to combine loads 12 and 13, echoed over the PA system. So what did I learn? Seatbelts save lives. They are a reasonably recent addition to jump planes and are not used in all drop zones in all countries. Many people are dubious about their worth in jump planes. However, the force in our reasonably low-speed incident was surprisingly vicious. Can you imagine being slammed into by 17 100-kilo sacks of potatoes during an accident? That becomes several tons of force when you add a few Gs. Without everyone wearing seatbelts, I'm certain some of us would have been crushed to death. Knowing which seatbelt is yours needs to be part of aircraft briefings. Benches can be long and people can pick up the wrong seatbelt in a rush, leaving the person at the end of the bench without one. The usual drop zone briefing on aircraft emergencies doesn't equate to much more than wait for instructions from the pilot. In our situation, there wasn't the time to wait for instructions from a pilot busy trying to land a heavily loaded plane in a populated area. Maybe aircraft evacuations should be practiced as part of safety days. What specific situations should we exit and when should we stay? Who makes the decisions? Is it up to the individual? How do we get as many people out of a safe altitude without upsetting weight and balance? 
We have all thought about these things as individuals, but we have never practiced them as a group. We practice every other emergency procedure over and over again, but we are skydivers and not pilots, so tend to ignore the aircraft side of our safety. Door safety is also an issue. The door remained shut throughout the incident and when upside down, the disorientated jumpers took a while to open it. In the USA, there is no lock-open mechanism like we have in Australia. With an open door, one of the jumpers could have been thrown from the plane during the crash. Door open or shut for a landing. This needs to be decided as part of the emergency procedure. There are ample studies and actual tests which show the correct attachment and brace position for a crash when wearing a single point restraint. This needs to be taught and displayed at the drop zone.